So now we move up to, we escape the Mediterranean, we move up to Austria. And uh, the floor is to Mrs. Lisa Silverman, and she will talk about property and Jewish self-fashioning in Prudential Austria. By the way, I recommend to have a look on, on the website of the Lisa, which is very, very interesting. It's a way of please her work in the world. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Bohemian-born author Leopold Kompert is best known for his popular tales of rural Jewish life, often featuring impoverished but pious men and women eking out a living and trying to keep tradition among the temptations of modern life. His first collection of stories, Aus dem Ghetto, was published in 1848, and it quickly became popular and helped establish him as a serious writer. But that same year, Compert also published a very different kind of story in a Jewish newspaper. He published a long homage to the bohemian-born Jewish tobacco and wax merchant Israel Hönig von Hönigsberg, whose business success earned him a nobleman by Emperor Joseph II in 1789, making him the first Jew in Austria who did not have to convert in order to become ennobled. Compert's 20-page biographical sketch is a glowing account filled with effusive praise for Honigsberg's business acumen, patriotism, and dedication to Judaism. But he also devotes the full three pages of that 20-page account detailing how Honigsberg became the first Jew in Austria to be able to purchase land since 1746 when there was um, a ban that expressly forbid Jews, Jews from owning it. It was, as Compert notes, a truly notable event in the history of Austrian Jews. And so he meticulously details facts about Hönigsberg's purchase of a dissolved monastery in Velm, Lower Austria, including the price he paid for it, the names of each parcel of land it encompassed, and what buildings were located on it. He also recounts that the official transfer of ownership was celebrated when the local residents were invited to the main castle, where an Austrian official gave a short speech and introduced Hönigsberg as the new owner. Compert's effusive statements reflect the fact that for Jews in the 18th and 19th century um, Austria, owning property was a big deal. It played a critical role not only in providing shelter or a place of business, but it was also an important way for Jews to signal their social status and their rootedness. Because of Jews' special minority status and their history of persecution, expulsion, and expropriation in Austria, focusing on property, both in the city and the countryside, and its ability to be inherited, is a worthwhile way to think about how Jews built connections to the countries in which they lived. It also adds complexity to some of the more nebulous abstract tropes that we use when we speak of Jews um, and the perception of Jews as strangers or wanderers in the countries they lived. And it can also help us clarify the relationships that Jews had to their towns, to their cities, uh, in the countryside, and to each other. In this respect, it is worth recounting the details surrounding Honigsberg acquisition of Velm which would set the precedent for subsequent purchases of provincial real estate by Austrian Jews in the years following, some of which we'll hear about later today. Born in 1724, Hönig, his father, and his brothers built successful careers in the tobacco industry in their native Bohemia in the mid-18th century. Their reputation for good business and loyal service helped increase their contracts, and in 1761, Empress Maria Theresa rewarded them by allowing the family to settle freely in any city in Bohemia, Moravia, and Schlesien in which Jews were already allowed. And so Hönig worked his way up in the business until he was granted part of the tobacco concession for Bohemia and Austria in 1764. This new business was even more lucrative, 
Together with wax manufacturing and other financial ventures, Koenig gained wealth for himself as well as for the state. In 1784, Joseph II nationalized the tobacco monopoly and rewarded Hoenig by making him its director. Um, and with that, he became the first Jewish state official in the Habsburg monarchy. By 1789, he had become so indispensable that Joseph II honored him with the title of a Niederösterreichischer Regierungsrat, or sort of counselor, and he also gave him the noble title. He was now Israel Hoenig Edler von Hoenigsberg. And as was custom, he chose a coat of arms, and it is no surprise that in this coat, um, you can see here tobacco plants, the sign of the industry in which he gains his wealth, feature prominently, as do the eight bees. You can sort of see these bees above each lion there. Um, <coughs> see the bees, right? Lion. About his name, Hoenig, but also the fact that he was a wax manufacturer. Right. As Compert presents it, Hoenigsberg purchased Velm in order to round out his new identity as an Austrian noble. But actually, documents show that it was the other way around. Hoenig had apparently requested the title of nobility from Joseph in order to be able to purchase Velm. It is interesting that he did this, since by this time, many ennobled Austrians, non-Jewish Austrians, did actually not even have estates. In fact, it was not even a requirement to own property for a noble to become a member of the Landesstand of Lower Austria. So that's the estate with a capital E, but I'm going to call it a Stand because then we won't mix it up with the estate with a smaller E. Okay. So the Stand of lesser nobility, that governing body in the province to which a new no noble would normally be admitted. In earlier centuries, owning certain types of property had certainly been an important qualifier for admittance to this assembly. But by the 1700s, inclusion no longer depended on being landed. All you needed was formal acceptance by the other members. Still, though, there was this important symbolic um, reason to, um, that was attached to owning land as a noble. And Hunigsberg's situation highlighted how important it was um, for Jews especially, who um, in subsequent decades would become ennobled in increasing numbers for their service, yet still deny the opportunity to own property. In earlier centuries in Vienna, Jews had indeed owned their houses before the community was destroyed, first in 1423, and again um, in the city they had owned land after returning before being expelled and expropriated again in 1670-71. But in, in the mid-18th century, Jews were legally forbidden to own houses and gardens. And although some wealthy Jews were able to get around this band, um, becoming a legitimate owner of property, and especially in a landed estate, was still not possible until Israel Hunig von Hunigsberg was able to do it. And this was true even despite Joseph II's Tolerance Patent of 1782, which removed some of the more humiliating restrictions on Jews, such as the rule that they could not go out on Sunday and holiday mornings, or the, um, the rule that Jews had to grow beards. But it was so. Um, but they still could not own property, so it was really very special when, in 1789, with the aim of satisfying Hunigsberg's desire to purchase Velm, the emperor issued a proclamation, a, pro a special proclamation, that wealthy Jews could bid at public auction for state-owned domains. So Hunigsberg then bought Velm, the landed estate of a dissolved monastery. But even though the emperor had granted him permission, there was still a problem. The Stand of lesser nobility refused to accept him. He was out of luck because membership in that body, which paid taxes to the state and also kept local government functioning, was determined only by its members and not by the emperor. What is notable is that um, this, um, 
this stand did not only not let him join, but they also kept him from being entered into the state land registry as the official owner. Right? So even though the emperor allowed it, they still pushed back and wouldn't let him be um, entered. So Compert, in his, his story, his, his biography, recounts how Hunixburg petitioned, petitioned them for the right to be able to do so, but that the, they met many times and dragged out the, profis, the process. First, they said he could register as an owner if he changed his name to a Christian one. When he refused, a more sympathetic noble member offered to lend him his own name in order to be entered. But Hunixburg stood his ground, arguing that he had earned this property by serving the emperor and should be entered into the book like any other Christian owner. Although they never ended up admitting him as a member, the Stand finally did at least allow him to be inscribed in the land registry at the end of December 1794, which is when Compert's account of the story ends. But historians have unearthed the unfavorable conditions that he was eventually forced to accept in order to officially own the property. First, the Stand revoked Joseph's 1789 decree, allowing wealthy Jews to buy state, at, buy state lands at auction. And they undertook to more strictly enforce existing laws that did not allow Jews to own property. And so, while Hunixburg remained the owner of Velm, the Stand also decreed that none of his descendants would be able to inherit it unless they first converted to Christianity. The fact that emperors continued to grant Jews noble titles um, means that, though, it was some, in some ways a, a, a hollow honor. It didn't, for example, Hunixburg was ennobled and got the right to own the property, but he didn't even get the right to stay in Vienna, for example. And property ownership would continue to remain a hurdle. It is clear that even though dynastic state power, power increased in the later 18th century, noble prestige in Austria still derived not from the ruler's patent, but from acceptance by its corporately constituted peers. So this can help us think about what Jews' desire to own property um, in Austria was an, uh, think about it as an additional way to gain prestige. And yet, even owning property itself did not make Jews equal. So in 1798, for example, Emperor Francis II approved Nathan von Arnstein's acquisition of a villa um, and a garden in Mariahilf outside the walls of Vienna, so sort of like halfway between country and city. Um, and you may be familiar with his name, or at least that of his wife, Fanny von Arnstein, whose salon was famous for its gatherings of Jewish and non-Jewish nobles, intellectuals, and artists. Um, but because Jewish bankers like Arnstein made money available to the cash-strapped state during the crisis of the Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars, they were granted special permissions by the emperor. And for that, they acquired reputations as patriots, and so this was seen as a way to reward them for that. But this increase in numbers of Jews being ennobled due to their patriotism led to more local groups like the Stand in Niederösterreich, in Lower Austria, passing a law in 1808 proclaiming that nobody of third degree Jewish descent would ever be allowed to join, even if ennobled, right? So there was ways to fight back against Jews being ennobled, being able to purchase land, um, by still denying them um, the, the honor of being in that Stand. And according to historian William Godsey, this was the only documented instance in Europe for the revolutionary era that resembled early modern Spanish statutes of blood purity and 20th century Nuremberg laws as well, right? This idea of Jewish descent prohibiting somebody from owning. The acquisition of property, along with the noblement of Jews, the mixing of Jews and non-Jews at salons like Fanny von Arnstein's, conversion and intermarriage, was perceived as a threat to the old orders of things. And thus, the emperors ennobled some Jews, allowed some to buy land, but they still didn't gain citizenship from that. And so just as Hunigsberg had not become a member of the Stand by his purchase of Velm, 
so that Arnstein and other Jews, uh, such as Pereira and Escalese, did not become citizens because they possessed houses in Vienna. Um, it would not be until the Staatsgrundgesetz of December 1867 um, where Jews would become equal and then allowed to own property, both acquire it and freely dispose of it. Now, we can also gain insight into what country estates meant for Jewish self-fashioning in Austria from a kind of an unlikely source, historian Karl Shorsky. In his seminal book on Fantasy Ecla Vienna, he also includes a very brief reference to country houses. He notes that, quote, in England, time had hallowed the passage of the merchant into the squirearchy via the country house. In Austria, nobility for service had become common, but its, noble, its normal badge and accompaniment was higher culture, not a country seat. The acquisition of a noble's estate was not in good taste. It would carry some stigma of social presumptuousness." Unquote. What's particularly interesting about Shorsky's statement is that he said it in reference not to Jews, but rather in reference to Georg von Schönerer, a fierce pan-German nationalist and rabid anti-Semite whose politics would later influence Adolf Hitler, for example. His father, Matthias Schönerer, built Austria's first railway in 1828 by collaborating with the House of Rothschild and other Jewish bankers. For this achievement, he earned wealth as well as a patent of nobility in 1860. It may not seem odd to us at this time that Matthias von Schönerer then purchased a landed estate, but Shorsky tells us that for parvenus in Austria to acquire feudal holdings to celebrate social achievement at that time was indeed unusual. Shorsky implies that Matthias Schönerer's purchase of the manor of Rosenau near Zwettel, which is in Niederösterreich, a 14th century estate with a charming castle, was something more akin to what his Jewish colleagues would have done, which then made it in poor taste. Shorsky hints here that acquiring, as opposed to inheriting, country estates was negatively associated with something that Jews would do, and that Matthias's son Georg never shook this Jewish taint of his father's knighthood and real estate acquisition, regarding it at best as pseudo-aristocracy. And it is from this position that Georg von Schönerer would become one of the, most, one of the era's most noxious anti-Semites, turning on the values that made his father able to get the land and title in the first place. So Habsburg loyalty, capitalism, interracial tolerance, financial speculation. And so in conclusion, considering these two estates side by side, Hönigsberg's in Velm and Schönerer's in Rosenau, can help us think about how the ownership of country estates engaged Jewish difference in Austria. To be sure, owning property and being able to pass it on to one's heirs was crucial for Jews in order to anchor their commitment to the state and their, and their self-identification um, as Austrians. But their striving to do so, in turn, made the acquisition of such property, as opposed to inheriting it through lineage, quote-unquote tainted with Jewishness, and in turn then shows how Jewishness was one other way that Austrians clarified and critiqued the terms of their relationship to the country. Thank you. Thank you.